0: It's the Burt Cohen Show. as far as I can tell, it's not supposed to be just for the super rich, the 1%. That's one of the things about America. We're all supposed to be able to participate in the American dream. But boy, that seems like kind of a fantasy now compared to uh, what has happened to this country, this republic. Uh, a lot of people are trying to turn it into a plutocracy, government of, by, and for the very rich. doesn't have to be that way doesn't have to be that way our guest right now i'm very pleased has been on this issue for quite a while really knows about it chuck collins chuck thanks very much for being with us chuck collins you may know is an author and senior scholar at the institute for policy studies where he directs the program on inequality and the common good he's also co-founder of wealth for the common good He's an expert on U.S. economic inequality and has pioneered efforts to, to bring together investors and business leaders to speak out publicly against some corporate practices and economic policies that increase economic inequality. He's the author of 99 to 1, What Wealth inequality, uh, How Wealth Inequality is Wrecking the World and What We Can Do About It. Collins is co-author with William Gates Sr. of the book Wealth and Our Commonwealth, why america should tax accumulated fortunes well thanks again for being with us chuck the the right wing no doubt would accuse you of fomenting a class war are you well
1: not really i mean i actually to be honest grew up in the one percent so i kind of know a lot of people who are you know leading business leaders and, and they're the kind of people you would want on your team so it's not a not at all personal or, or, or warfare. I actually think these trends of growing wealth inequality are bad for everybody, including people in the very, very tippy-top. Uh, it may seem like there's a short-term gain, but over the long-term, we're, we're, we're heading toward the kind of society that I don't think anybody really wants to live in, a, polar, a very polarized society.
0: Well, I, I wonder how many people really do care about this. I mean, There's always been, you know, part of America is that you can get rich if you're driven by that, if circumstances work out well, if you hitchhike on to certain, uh, uh, you know, uh, infrastructures that are already in existence. But uh, I I wonder how much people really get that, that the wage gap, that the income gap has grown so, so big. And do they get how harmful it is? Well, let's look, if you would, What what is the, uh, there's there's some differences between the top CEOs, the average CEO pay, and the average worker in a company. Uh, How big of an income gap really is it? And how has it changed in, say, the last 10 years or so?
1: Yeah. Well, in in 1980, the ratio was about 42 to 1, meaning that the top CEO in a company uh, earned or took home 42 times the average worker uh for the last couple of years it's ranged between 300 and 400 times so it's it's the gap has widened uh you know it's really increased tenfold people actually really do care about inequality i think we do as a society have a pretty high tolerance for inequality as long as the rules are fair and everybody has an equal opportunity then i think people would say you know what i can tolerate a certain amount of inequality as long as everybody has an opportunity and it's a fair level playing field. And I think one of the things that's changed really since the economic meltdown of 2008 is people feel see that the rules are rigged that uh, a small number of corporations uh and a very small segment of very wealthy people have kind of tipped the you know rigged the rules to keep funneling wealth to themselves to the detriment of small businesses, local businesses and everybody else. And we're starting to see that we don't have equal opportunity anymore. Uh, When one group of families can provide huge advantages to their kids and give them these incredible head starts, and we're sort of dismantling uh, public investments in, in, in education and other things, then it's not a level playing field anymore. You know, if you want the American dream these days, you're better off moving to Canada. Uh, There's more social mobility now than there is the United States.
0: Hmm. We're talking to Chuck Collins about uh, wealth inequality, how it undermines our economy, democracy, health, and he's going to talk about what we can do about it. The, the middle class, the, the right wing these days, is uh, they've, they've recognized that this talk about the 99% is getting some traction. People understand what that is. And they're saying a lot that, well, we liberals want to take from the middle class and have the middle class share the wealth with the formerly middle class. I mean, the middle class has been just decimated in the past few years. And, you know, they're trying to cut uh, Social Security and cut uh, welfare. They look at uh, welfare recipients as the enemy. How does that discussion and affect the political realities here. And how far from reality is it? Is it that, you know, we who want to maintain, uh, the Commonwealth or you know, traditional American value of the Commonwealth. Are we undermining the middle class or is, or what else is going on? That's really undermining the middle class.
1: Well, first of all, I think that that narrative that you allude to, that there are some people in the society that are takers and dependents and, uh, are lobbying for a, a system of redistribution downward, uh, that's really a poisonous way to kind of look at our country. I mean, at different stages of our life, each of us are more dependent, uh, maybe more dependent than other times of life. Uh, we actually, a good society uh, both creates opportunity and also takes care of people who have been left behind through, you know, uh, various kinds of mental illness, physical illness, other limitations. Uh, you know, it just kind of creates a kind of meanness and poisonous. At the, at the same time, people are promoting this kind of mean narrative of, oh, yeah, 47% of the population are takers. So it creates that kind of resentment. At the same time, they're instituting public policies that have led to a, a huge gushing up of wealth. I mean, what ordinary middle class people face today is a collapsing economy with real wages about the same as they were in the 1970s. So people's buying power has pretty much stayed down. But our costs are going up, and we're nickel and dime every step of the way, whether it's your phone company or the bank tacking on extra fees. There's like this sort of extraction of wealth from ordinary people uh, you know, that that is extraordinary. So you know, you even if you look at our regional banks uh, and what they're paying their top CEOs, and then what you're getting on your interest in your savings account and the fees that you're now being charged, you sort of have to wonder who's subsidizing who right. in our economy. So I think it's a I think we need to basically say, look, we we're in it together. We need a society and an economy that works for everybody and lifts everybody up. We shouldn't have a set of rules, economic rules, that that tilt the flow of wealth to to the very, very top. Not just the 1%, but uh, a new book by uh, economist Thomas Piketty is basically that it's really the top one-tenth of 1%, meaning one out of 1,000 households that are the big uh, gainers in this economy.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, at some point, psychologists will will name some treatment for that unbelievable obsessive uh, frenzied greed <laughs> that a lot of those people have i don't i mean how much money can somebody have and if you look at the the charts and chuck collins i'm sure you know the charts i'm talking about how it it just shoots up like a rocket just at the very very end of that horizontal chart and you've worked with people who are in you know, the top 1% or so, who recognize that this is, it's not even good for their interests, really. How does today's wealth inequality undermine our democracy? And why would some of the wealthiest people, like, I don't know how wealthy Bill Gates Sr. is as compared to his son, but what what's in it for them? And I understand a lot of people in the wealthiest group really are fine with being taxed more. Yeah, it's,
1: it's an interesting thing. These inequalities undermine our democracy. I mean, because concentrated wealth, the more wealth is concentrated in few hands, it's also concentrated political power, the power to contribute to elections. And frankly, you know, the dams have been opened on that. So there's going to be huge amounts of flow of money into our democratic system. Uh, You know, every candidate now needs to have a cadre of, of multimillionaires and hopefully a billionaire or two to help them be viable any candidate for national office is going to need to have their own billionaire patrons to, to com- compete in this political system and that's so that essentially disenfranchises the rest of us who can't write big checks to candidates and influence the legislative process it, it's, it's essentially disenfranchising and these concentrations of wealth really undermine they undermine social mobility they undermine economic health instability, leading to more wild, uh, you know, swings in the economy. Uh, they undermine the culture and civic life and the sense of we're in it together. And that's why, you know, uh, Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or some of the members of our Wealth for the Common Good Network, they will be, they're very clear, uh, we don't want to be like Brazil. We don't want to have wealthy elites living behind walls with bodyguards and bulletproof cars. Right. Uh, you know, we don't want to create intergalactic uh, uh, gated communities like, uh, like the science fiction movie Elysium, one of my favorite movies with Matt Damon. But it's a, it's a, that's where we're heading. Again, the future of inequality is such that we are creating a society where we will, a generation from now, be ruled by the children of the Waltons and the Gateses and the Buffets and the Soroses and the Koch brothers we're going to have a society ruled by inherited wealth, not by entrepreneurs, but by the sons and daughters and grandchildren of today's uber-rich. And that is not the kind of country you or I want to live in.
0: Again, we're talking on the Bert Cohen Show with uh, Chuck Collins, uh, author and senior scholar. His new book is uh, 99 to 1, How Wealth Inequality is Wrecking the World and What We Can Do About It. And uh, isn't it the case that the... Uh, the people who founded this country, the people who rebelled against British rule, largely what they were about was doing away with a plutocracy. They had royals in power, and it, it wasn't really good. They wanted a government of, by, and for the people. And it seems to me people who call themselves patriots these days are trying to actually turn that uh, impetus for the founding of America completely on its head and return to the system that our great founders fought to overthrow. Is, is that kind of a stretcher? Or do you think, it seems to me it, it, it really is uh, threatening our Republican form of government of, by, and for I, the people.
1: I think you're on target. I mean, for really the first century of our country, it, the, the kind of anti-monarchic, impulse was part of our dna it was so formative to the forming of this country is we're going to create a society that will not be ruled by hereditary rulers we're we'll not going to have kings and queens that are you know ruling over us and having their children rule over us and the same with wealth and that's why a hundred years ago when our country really faced the first great challenge of concentrated wealth meaning you know the first gilded age right. 1900 think of the Newport Mansions or the mansions on uh, on uh, Mount Desert Island and Bar Harbor, mm-hmm. the great fortunes of the first industrial age. People had there was a very rigorous discussion about will these concentrations of wealth undermine our fragile self governing republic? And many people said the answer is yes. Yeah. Louis Brandeis, the Supreme Court justice, said you can have concentrated wealth in the hands of a few, or you can have democracy. But you cannot have both. And here we are; we're back a hundred years later at the same wow. kind of precarious moment. Uh, but we need to kind of ramp up the rigorousness of the discussion and not just shut it down with old tired mm-hmm. oh, this of socialism over there. You know, they're anti-business. You know, if you care about capitalism and business, you should be very worried about these une- these these growing inequalities of wealth and
0: power. Yeah, because that can really break down the foundations and make the whole thing kind of crumble. Well, Chuck, you you also say that uh, this uh, wealth inequality undermines our health. What what do you mean by that?
1: Well, there's a huge amount of research. Uh, You know, conventional wisdom would be uh, the lower your income, the worse your health. And that is true. uh, You know, lower income people have less access to healthy food, are in more dangerous and unhealthy occupations. But what more and more research is showing is that you're better off having a lower income but living in a more equal community than you are having a higher income but living in an extremely unequal society. That unequal societies' health indicators are worse across the board. Um, and uh, so inequality essentially makes us sick, and one of the reasons for that is. When you have a society that's stretched and the gap between the rich and everyone else is extremely wide, there is a breakdown in social solidarity and a sense that we're all in it together and watching over each other, and an injury to you matters to me. And so too much inequality is is really actually bad for your health. Hmm. Better off living like in Minnesota in a relatively equal county, than you are living in uh, a southern county of fabulous wealth
0: but great inequality. Boy, yeah, and uh, our health is, I mean, it's extremely important, and it costs everybody. If Well, that's sort of another issue. When when we have people without money, have health problems, we all have to subsidize it because the only place they can go is the emergency room, which is the least cost-efficient. What has happened to wealth inequality in the Obama years, and following that up, do you think Hillary Clinton might do better, or is she pretty much on the same track?
1: You know, um, you know President Obama, at different points, has really focused attention on these inequalities. In fact, in January, there was, was all this hubbub that he was going to really talk about these inequality issues in his State of the Union, and right. uh, he kind of was preemptively attacked, and came out and he talked about opportunity which is a sort of a different conversation. Inequality undermines opportunity, but people are afraid to say this simple fact. The concentration of wealth in the hands of the few is really undermining everything and is really at the root of a lot of problems. So if you you can't talk about how rich the rich are, then you're you're limited. And the Obama administration, has done some tinkering around the edges probably to make sure inequality hasn't gotten worse. But the machinery is kind of cranking now. The inequality machine is kind of on autopilot. Mm. And its natural impulse under the current set of rules is just going to become more and more unequal. Until we uh, restore progressivity of the tax code, right. we fix the inheritance tax, the, our, our estate tax has been blown full of holes. To the point where last year, uh, the casino mogul Sheldon Adelson passed on eight billion dollars, eight billion dollars to his kids, dodging three billion in estate taxes. So, the wealthy are using their power to make the tax system voluntary. Uh, same with a uh, mm. certain number of global corporations. So, you know, and the Obama administration has sort of stood by. Yes. And not done enough. And I'm not sure uh, you know, Hillary Clinton is going to be all that different until we, the people, kind of assert this as a primary issue. Absolutely. That's you know, the people who are organizing the forum, they, they don't want to just have another pretty conversation about how bad things are. Right. There are people who really want to do something. That's I'm I'm excited to come there and be part of that. You know, I have some something to offer, but I think people there are saying, you know what, uh, let's we're not gonna sit around and wait. Right. Uh, or we're going to kind of make this kind of a core issue uh, going forward, and that's ultimately what it's going to take. We need to change, and that will change our
0: leaders. And it has been said that government rests on the consent of the governed, and if it is shown that the consent is not there, things can happen. And it also has been said that uh, politics and protest are both necessary. Neither is sufficient. You have to have protest, loud protest, to enable the politicians to feel safe in making the changes that the people would like to make if they don't hear if they don't see the public support then why should they stick their necks out and you know we there are a few great people in public office like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren who get it who are trying to do something about it but in terms of our power the power of the people what can we do about it? Is there enough awareness and concern to motivate enough people to take meaningful action? And what kind of th- things might we be promoting, like, a, for example, a financial transaction tax? Or, or what are you suggesting that we can do about it?
1: Well, I think it's, in a way, it's a discouraging moment. If people look at the current political situation and say, oh, my gosh, the, you know, the, the, our political system has been captured. I'm just a lowly voter. I don't have hundreds of dollars to Thousands of dollars to give the candidates. How can I make a difference? Right. But that's why you know gathering actually, I think, are galvanizing because I think we're on the verge of a political realignment. And I'm not talking about Republicans and Democrats. I'm talking about kind of a an awakening of people. And here are the constituencies that I think are waking up. First of all, younger people. Uh, anybody under thirty. These inequality trends. Cut much more painfully, if you will, than it does for older folks. Um, So that's the the young people who are trying to get into the workforce, who are saddled with student debt, who are trying to work and earn a livelihood, but all they see are very low wage jobs without security. That's a constituency for political uh, change. The other constituency is the collapsing middle class. I mean, people who've sort of seen uh, the their their, their dreams of the future kind of pulled out from under them. You know, they, they thought they might be able to retire and uh, pay off their debts and, and uh, take a vacation, you know, and uh, instead they are looking at a life of work and they're not going to be able to pass on anything to their children. Um, and that's an angry constituency, and that could go Tea Party or it could go progressive populist. Um, but the reality is the Tea Party has nothing to offer the People facing this experience of collapsing middle class, except more tax cuts for the rich, you know. And so, a progressive program that says, you know, look, let's let's get let's 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 do what you know. Why is it that Canada has more social mobility now than the United States? Well, they invest in education. They have a debt-free higher education program. You don't take on a hundred thousand dollars of debt just to get a college degree. You uh, can have access to health care, affordable health care, in the event that you have a health setback. Uh, You have investment in job training and infrastructure and things that actually create uh, meaningful and decent jobs. So all those, those are all things that we can do. We've done them before, and we can do them again.
0: Now, what about just uh, as some advocate? and, And I would agree that a lot of the people who are drawn to the Tea Party, they're drawn to it. Because they're angry, because the government is clearly not working in their interest. Well, as you mentioned, the the, the money behind the Tea Party, pff, you know, they, they're they're for undermining uh, our Republican form of government. They're not going to help them. But I think that anger could be tapped into. It seems to me that constituency is there for grabs. Democrats aren't going to get it if they don't talk about these issues and don't show some some real alternative to it. Uh, but what about uh, uh, the idea of like? Uh, a financial transactions tax. Would that raise a significant amount of money? And I think we're talking about, you know, like a quarter, a half of 1% on large financial transactions, things like that.
1: Absolutely. No, there's, um, there's, you know, we, we hear, oh, we're broke. We don't have the revenue to make the kinds of investments that would enable us to have early childhood education. that sort yeah. of thing. Uh, a financial transaction tax is kind of a no-brainer. It's like a, a penny. On every four dollars of financial transactions hmm. above a certain threshold, you know, somebody who's trading up upwards of a hundred thousand uh, dollars, it's primarily going to be paid by the rapid, rapid um, traders, the people who are doing, you know, computerized and accelerated trading, which actually is very bad for the economy. Um, a, a financial transaction tax like that would raise somewhere between two hundred and three hundred billion dollars a year.
0: Wow. And it wouldn't slow it down. Yeah,
1: let's close off the offshore tax havens, uh, so a local business is paying its share taxes, but a global company is dodging its taxes using offshore secrecy, you know, subsidiaries in other countries and dodging their taxes. Let's level the playing field um, and uh, eliminate these offshore tax havens. That's going to bring in another hundred to two hundred billion dollars a year. Um, plug the holes in the estate tax. There's another 20 billion a year. So there's things that can be done, but they're currently being blocked by the current kind of impasse in Washington, primarily uh, by Republicans who can't possibly conceive of either plugging a loophole or raising taxes on the wealthy. And so the pressure is just going to have to keep building and building and building for those reforms to come to pass.
0: And Chuck Collins, it seems to me that a lot of people who are and there was I just saw some recent numbers, a lot of people who are in the uh, higher economic class are, are, are in favor of this. They wouldn't mind at all because they recognize in order to have a more stable uh, democratic uh, system, in order to have a more stable capitalist system you gotta you gotta deal with these things you have to build up infrastructure It's not going to slow things down one bit to have that financial transactions talk. What other websites and books you can point people to
1: yeah there's a simple uh, website which is inequality dot org uh, that's where I would go for more information about the inequality issue and about our work um, at the program on inequality and um, for people who are in that group of Maybe in the top five percent of income and wealth holders, and and agree with what you and I are talking about today. Wealthforcommongood.org is a network of uh, of business leaders and high net worth individuals who are speaking out, and they have their own sort of voice, important contribution to this discussion, as you just mentioned. Um, There's a lot of people out there who, surprisingly, maybe would say, "You look, raise, please raise taxes on me, make these investments. I want to live in a society." that has real help and opportunity for everybody. There's a lot of people out there who feel that way.
0: And if we can't have employees, you know, who are educated, then that really undermines our whole capitalist economy. Chuck Collins, thanks so much for being with us and uh, so much wisdom. And uh, sometimes the fight must feel a little bit difficult, but I have a feeling you're sensing some uh, momentum going on
1: here. Yeah, no, I definitely, I'm seeing it for sure.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Chuck Collins, for being with us on The Bert Cohen Show. Was the Beatles live uh, from 1962 thereabouts, 63 maybe. We're going to go from money to sex. What a great combination, isn't it? I mean, what could be more interesting? Sex and money. Uh, our guest right now is Amanda Marcotte, who is a freelance journalist uh, from Texas, but now living in the great town of Brooklyn, New York. She focuses on feminism, national politics, and pop culture, with the order shifting, depending on her mood and the state of the nation. Well, Amanda, thanks very much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Well, you, w- what brings us here together today is that you wrote about a, a prom, It's prom time of year, a homeschool prom in which a girl, Claire Ettinger, was the focus of chaperones. Male chaperones in particular, Uh, even though her dress was entirely within code and local regulations. Apparently, some of the fathers chaperoning the event had complained about her. They reportedly said that her dancing was too provocative and that she was going to, quote, cause the young men at the prom to think impure thoughts. (laughs) Sorry for laughing. She ended up uh, being kicked out because all these fundamentalist Christian dads couldn't stop leering at the teenager, and, of course, they blamed her for it. Is It, it reminds me of blaming the victims for being raped, for being attractive. Am, am I out of line here?
2: No, I mean, obviously there's a big difference in degree, but it's the same kind of thing of, like, assuming that... Uh, Women's self-presentation, or women's clothing choices, or women's behavior, somehow just automatically controls what men do, and you know it's just about letting men off the hook for controlling their own behavior.
0: And and Amanda, do you the event was at a prom for for homeschooled kids? Do you think such blaming of the girls for being though sexually attractive? That is that blaming more prevalent among fundamentalists? Have you any research or sense on that?
2: Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's not even like, that's something I think fundamentalist Christians in a lot of cases would actually all agree with. This isn't even something that is a point of dispute. Um, you know, in the secular world, I think there's a lot of debate over these sorts of things, whereas in fundamentalist Christianity, at least in the sort of, Far right homeschooling Christian patriarchy circles that that these, most of these kids kind of move in. Um, it's explicitly um, taught that women have a responsibility not to quote unquote cause men to stumble. That's actually like a very common phrase in fundamentalist Christianity, um, and they have all these lists and. Um, Printouts and all these other things explaining how women are supposed to dress and behave themselves to not cause men to, and and the word is always is stumble. stumble. So hmm. it's considered sinful to cause another to sin, and the responsibility is basically solely put on on women. Even while men maybe like try to supposedly control themselves, it. it yeah, men are told they're supposed to control themselves, but realistically, as this situation showed, it just becomes a, a matter of everybody just obsessing over every inch of a woman's body to make <laughs> sure that it's being covered properly.
0: <laughs> it's it's amusing, but it's very disturbing. And I, so, so this girl had to leave the dance. I wonder how boys were reacting. Was the reaction? Uh, you know, that w- were they misbehaving? Were they stumbling? That 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 word "stumbling," I, I, how would you define that? What do they mean by stumbling? That you know, if that that men, or at least you know, white fundamentalist Christian men, would be on the straight and narrow path without, uh, if they weren't attracted to women, that's a little odd. That's
2: exactly, it with their, they would say with their walk with God is a stumble right oh
0: and right right
2: it, if you have sinful thoughts about wanting to have sex with a woman then that is a stumble
0: um oh, yeah yeah it's brutal so that's that's, <laughs> so that's the, that's the <laughs> women's fault i see i i find it uh more than a bit ironic that we in america pretty much everybody in america when they look at the you know, conservative Muslims in the Islamic world who force women to cover up from head to toe. They wear the chadors, they wear the the headscarves. You can't see anything, barely even the eyes, in some cases not the eyes. I, I, I wonder if that's something similar. Is it to protect women from men who can't help themselves? Do you see any... Uh, similarity or, or, you know, oddity that here we are disgusted with with those awful conservative Muslims and the fundamentalist Christians here at home. Is is there something on a similar track there?
2: Uh, they're exactly the same. There's no difference. And and that same kind of it's that mentality where if if women give in to a certain amount of the logic, then. Um, you know, the fundamentalist men just keep pressing the point. Like, you see that in both cultures. I would say, you know, it's um, the book, Persepolis has this, uh, the comic book about growing up in fundamentalist Iran has this really great scene where the main character is following the street dress code. She has no hair peeking out. She's got the, the head covering and everything on. And some men... Some poli- Iranian police officers um, single her out and say, "You're wiggling your your ass too much underneath your your clothes when you walk."
0: Uh, I see.
2: He just loses her temper and is like, "Just stop staring at my then <laughs> Like the fact that I mean, regardless of where you are in the world, you know, once the logic that women are there to control, like women are obliged to control men's choices, feelings, or behavior comes into play, wow. then there's no limit to what will be asked of women. I mean, because it's the, the very premise is ridiculous. The only person who can control you is you, you right. know? And I'm not saying that men shouldn't think sexual thoughts, so, I, right. you know, you should just kind of, you know, it, it's not that hard, which was a point I made in the post, which is like... In the sort of secular urban world that is always being bashed by the conservative press, men tend, most men tend to just go along in life. They see women wearing all varieties of clothing, including very little, and they manage to not sexually harass them, leer at them, or be terrible about it. They, they, they can, you know, they can have their thoughts and think what they want without having to make it a woman's responsibility to deal with them.
0: You know boy they're not <laughs> hard it, it seems like these uh, a lot of these fundamentalist Christian white men uh want to have and are determined to have power and control over women, and yet the way you described it, boy they're giving women a lot of power. the men are helpless to <laughs> this stuff i mean that that's really kind of strange, I think, and there's this idea in well, with most secular people anyway, that, you know, the thing about no means no, you know, and that that there's no justification for violence against women. And let's face it, uh, rape is a violent act. It's not a sexual act. It's a violent act that uh, it's up to men to control it, that if a woman, no matter what she wears, no matter how alluring, sexually attractive it is, if she doesn't want to have sex with this guy, end of story. Is is this something that fundamentalist Christian men can't deal with, do you think? What, what have you found on that?
2: You know, unfortunately, you're right that, like, it, it does sort of carry over. While obviously there's this official condemnation of sexual assault in fundamentalist Christian circles, there has been a lot of stories coming out recently that sexual abuse is rampant in the homeschooling and Christian school environment in no small part because when young women report being raped, they're often immediately subject to the, the intense questioning of what did you do to cause him to stumble, you know, and, and shaming and being treated like they have failed some way or they're impure. And it's particular, I recommend going to the New Republic and reading a piece about Patrick Henry College where it's particularly disturbing because it shows how that logic plays out the same no matter what. You know, it's a very, very conservative Christian school. None of the young women that were sexually assaulted that were interviewed had been drinking or any of the other excuses the secular world comes up with to, to minimize rape. And yet they were subject to the same kind of treatment. And I, I think it's important, therefore, to realize that, you know, it, it isn't ever about what a woman does. It's, you know, if you are rude or assaultive towards her, that is on you, you know. and I, And just, you know, getting, like, not, you know, the rape thing is, like, I think a little bit more in your face. But, like, the, you know, the leering and the sexual harassment thing, I think a lot of people feel that's a little bit more excusable to do if a woman dressed a certain way but it it's still not it's still terrible and it's still rude i mean didn't i all i can think is didn't your mama like teach you not to stare at people you
0: know <laughs> <laughs> and especially uh, thinking about this this uh, dance this homeschool dance here i can just picture it the the teenagers fathers up in the balcony uh one you can really picture leering at the teenage girls teenage girls can't help it if they're teenage girls you know yeah. <laughs> and, and, and men find it attractive we're talking on the bert cohen show this half hour with amanda Marcott about uh fundamentalist christian homeschool treatment of girls and the roles that they have to play and taking away power from men should Do you think, Amanda, that this is a message to women in conservative communities that they should expect to feel unsafe in sexy clothes?
2: Yes. And then that is, uh, I mean, it's clear that that is the (sighs) intention, is is to make them, at least make them feel insecure and paranoid all the time. Ah. And it's one of those things that... You know, a lot of experts I've talked to in this sort, who study this sort of thing, say like particularly in American Christian fundamentalist culture, girls are given a a, a dual message of like they are supposed to be attractive and be sexy, but they're also supposed to always be monitoring this invisible and ever changing line, and I, you know, of where they've crossed over and now they deserve to be treated poorly, and it's impossible to know where that line is because the line is always changing. And I thought that this story was a really good example because the girl that had laid out a dress code, the girl made sure her dress fit the dress code, and yet she still got harassed because, it, it, you know, because the rules were never really the rules. The whole point of the rules was to always keep you insecure. You know, And I, but if she had shown up at the dance, I, I can guarantee you right now if she'd shown up at the dance just wearing a potato sack, she would have gotten a different, like, kind of abuse and been told that, you know, she needs to be more mindful about being attractive to men. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things that you often read a lot of Christians. The same Christian fundamentalist sources that scold women for being immodest will turn around and tell women that they need to be pretty and pleasing to the eyes so that they can attract a husband. And you, that's a get Like it's basically set up to be a
0: game you cannot win. Wow. And uh, yeah, absolutely amazing. And I I have found Amanda Marcotte that a lot of the uh, the gay bashers, the guys who get incensed about gay men being in their midst, and they they actually you know bash and and beat up and even sometimes kill uh, gay men. It's because The bashers are kind of insecure themselves about their own sexuality and uh, are, are, you know, they wonder if deep down inside, if they're attracted to these attractive Mm -hmm. men. Uh, And I wonder if there's something uh, similar here with, do do you find that socially conservative men tend to be more insecure and ashamed about their own sexuality? Is this part of the problem?
2: You know, I have to assume that that's true. I mean, obviously, by making it all about the women and what the women do, these men have created a wall of silence around their own thoughts Mm. and feelings and desires. And that obviously starts to it starts to make is after a while, you start to think that's the point. You know, by putting all the emphasis on women, they can avoid actually talking about their own feelings and thoughts beyond just simply like posing like. Yeah, I'm a man. I like Playboy. I like to look at women. Yeah, and, and then immediately turning around and again making that women's fault as opposed to either you know uh, just a a it's kind of natural for men to look at women, but also b like it's your job to keep it in control. You know,
0: <laughs> uh, it seems so common sense, but then again, uh, oftentimes common sense doesn't rule the day. Now, Amanda Marcott, social conservatives insist. They are trying to desexualize our world. They're concerned that, you know, women out there in the secular world are being too sexual and that, you know, it's sinful. They're leading men astray. They're saying they're trying to desexualize our world. In what ways might that backfire, do you think?
2: Well, I think it was really obvious in the situation. A 17-year-old girl goes to a prom wearing a fairly normal, not at all like outlandish dress, you know. It covered everything normally. It was, I would say by modern standards, a fairly modest cocktail dress, and yet these middle-aged men just, they they see sex just oozing out of every corner. They can't, they act like they can't control themselves, as if this is like the, like, the the atmosphere at that prom sounds like it got really sexually, like, charged really fast, and then in the most, gross, perverted way as opposed to a fun, flirty way, which is what kids are sh- should be allowed. And all I could think to myself was, reading this, was, you know, I live in New York City like the hotbed of liberal, secular, over you know, you can walk around half-naked here and no one could. no one will look at you twice. Right. That's basically what I realized. I was like, you get on the subway here and a woman could get on wearing like you know a bikini sure. and like nobody would like almost no one would leer at her or harass her certainly not all of the men in the room <laughs> which is what it sounded like at this prom that all the, the adult men were so beside themselves to see a girl in a normal cocktail dress that they just they lost it and i'm just you know in the secular liberal mecca of new york city you know women can walk around looking barely wearing any clothes, and men, by and large, will not behave that way. I mean, a few will,
0: always, well, but most won't.
2: Yeah.
0: Most and, stay in their lane. <laughs> and stay in their lane. That's why I wish more drivers would do that. And, you know, they're trying to desexualize the world, and guess what? You know, sex has always been here, probably always will be, and if people are interested in, uh, you know, in... Uh, and having a future population, you know, and it's kind of necessary. And it seems like it's it's kind of backfiring that they want to desexualize it in a way they, they're they kind of increasing the focus on sex. It's, it's really bizarre. And I get the impression that in social conservative areas of America, women are expected to be dominated and controlled by men. Is this clamped on a woman looking attractive related to that you know if women look attractive they have to be controlled is is there some kind of connection between the the incessant desire to dominate and control women and clamping down on women being attractive related to that white male domination and control
2: yeah no absolutely i mean it certainly in fact it's, it's the primary way i think in a lot of ways that control over women is exerted, just constantly making and changing and making them dance and change yeah. all, like, all these rules of, like, you have to wear this and you can't wear that and you must look this way but not too much that way and, you know, it's basically about making women just feel like they, like, if you're just doing that dance and just playing that game all the time, you know what you never get to do as a woman? is think, you know what, I want to wear something because I want to wear it, or, you know, I want to, to look this way because that's what makes me happy. You know, that's not even on a table for women in these cultures. Mm. Like, because everything's about being attractive but not too, being sexy but not too, and then, of course, you know, always having to, to change yourself for other people's opinions. And it's, it's, really, it's really sad if you think about it.
0: Yeah, it really is uh, incredibly uh, repressive, and they, you know, these a lot of these social conservatives uh, often point to social liberals who are fine with, uh, you know, gay marriage and things like that. They point to social liberals for sexual licentiousness. What's your response to that?
2: Here's the thing: sex is normal and healthy and a normal part of human life, just like food or sleep, or anything. And if you think about, and if you accept it and embrace it for what it is, it actually becomes easier not to let it dominate your life. <laughs> um, uh-huh. so if you if you've ever been on a diet and calorie restricted, what happens to you? All you think about is food. All you think about is food. You can't think about anything but food. You just spend all your time thinking, I am so hungry. If you can't sleep, if you have to get up at 4 a.m. to catch a flight and then you're on a plane for 24 hours because of delays and stuff, all you can think about is sleep. Of course sex is the same. If If you deny yourself a healthy, normal sexuality, then you're going to become weird, obsessive, and perverse. If you allow yourself to have a, a, a normal, healthy sexual life, it, it is contained and it is good. It's a part of your life as it should be. I mean, nobody's anti-sex here. Like, I guess that's why they think we're over-sexed or because we're not against it. But I mean, what happens is you see people have a handle on it. They can they can go about their daily business without making everything about sex hmm. and. You know, I I get accused all the time of being some kind of, like, horrible, flattering slut, and it's like, you know what? i probably get through a lot more of my day without making it about sex than most of the people who make that accusation at me. You
0: know...
2: I'm I'm not saying you shouldn't be sexual. You should be. That's
0: the point. Yeah yeah it's it's a it's part of life you're right, and I can think of so many examples who you know people they're doing without something and hear sex repress sex repress sex, repress sex. they're thinking about sex all the time. It's a little weird, and let's hope we can learn from this from this particular lesson with this this girl this seventeen year old girl and uh if people interesting observations it always has you've been on the show before Amanda and hopefully you'll be on again if people are interested in following uh, your uh, journalism work some website to which you can point them
2: Um, you know I think the easiest way to follow everything I do because I write for a lot of places is to follow me on Twitter at Amanda Marcotte just my name and I also write for Slate's XX Factor, and Law Stories Pentagon kind of on a daily
0: basis. Well, thank you so much. Very, very interesting. It's well, uh, we talked about money and then sex. Hey, what could be more fun? Thanks so much for being with us, Amanda. Thank you.
2: Bye.
0: Larry Coriel with a song called Sex.